Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Kia, the EV6 GT, world performance car of the year. And Toolmark, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 40 years. This is Sports Day. Oh, yes. A lot's changed in 24 hours. I'm just coming up for breath. Wow. It happened around about this time yesterday. My producer says in my ear, the West Coast Eagles board have just released a statement. Adam Simpson will continue as coach of the West Coast Eagles. It happened about this time, a couple of minutes before five, and all of a sudden we're frantically running around finding out the background to it. Now, everybody has had a say over the last 24 hours about the decision. And as I said, I know this morning on the breakfast program, loyalty was considered a winner, and I agree. I think it's one of the character traits in the human race that perhaps has been lost, and it's been lost in the professional sporting landscape as well. How often now do players say, you know, I'm loyal to the club regardless of the money and the contract that's been offered elsewhere. But we'll come back to that in a moment. But for Cobram Estate, Premium Australian, extra virgin olive oil, we can also confirm that uh, Adam Simpson and the dialogue regarding his extended time now at the West Coast Eagles, where he'll finish out his contract, is certainly still the lead story. And we'll look back on it very shortly when we look at the top five at five that we were going to run yesterday. But, of course, we had to throw everything out yesterday because the whole hour was concentrated on the decision that was made by the West Coast Eagles board. So we'll focus on that in just a moment. Also, the other story that is making news is that we're looking forward to a bit of cricket because we're not far from cricket news. And Australian batting star Travis Head says that rookie fast bowler Spencer Johnson can have the same impact as match winner Mitchell Stark as he prepares to play in a new-look T20 team in South Africa that'll feature three new players. And one of those is our very own all-rounder Aaron Hardy. We wish him really the best of luck, and we hope that he now becomes another all-rounder on the back end of Cameron Green for Australia, particularly in the short form of the game. And that's hopefully then elevates himself to be possibly a test player. The other players making their debut is Spencer Johnson, as we mentioned, who's a fast bowler. And also Matt Short, who's the Adelaide Strikers batsman all-rounder. So congratulations to Aaron Hardy. We wish him the best. I'm looking forward to following that series, uh, the T20 series in South Africa. The first game, I believe, is on tomorrow. Some of the uh, stories going around for Cobram Estate, Australia's most awarded extra virgin olive oil, grown, harvested and first cold-pressed in northern Victoria. Now, have you had a time to reflect on the big news of the last 24 hours? If you couldn't get through last night, I didn't acknowledge your uh, SMSs. 
then the temperate bedshed text line is there for you, 0487 736 736. Or you can give us a call on 131255, as a number of people did last night. Of course, a Sports Day WA is brought to you by Kia EV6 GT. World Performance Car of the Year, and Toolmart, the Complete Tool Centre. They've been serving WA for over 45 years. And a big hello to people that are listening in the Wheat Belt. I'd like to see if people are picking up SEN in the Wheat Belt, because tomorrow is a big day. Big day in the Wheat Belt tomorrow. It's a big day for the town that produced the likes of Lance Buddy Franklin, Malcolm Gregory Brown, and others. We're talking about the town of Darren because tomorrow is the big Darren field days, uh, Wednesday and Thursday. So if you are listening in the wheat belt, send us a message. Love to hear from you on the temperate bedshed text machine, 0487 736 736. And with the retirement of Buddy Franklin, uh, everybody's looked at his career where it all started, and it started in Darren and those... uh, Real traditional and long-standing Darren Field days. They've been going on for ages and years and years and years. So if you're out in that neck of the wood in Western Australia, enjoy the next couple of days. All right, let's roll into the top five at five for Novus Auto Glass. There's one near you, 13, 22, 34. And what we thought we'd do is look at the top five biggest reactions as the Eagles backed in Adam Simpson as coach last night. Everybody has had a say in the last 24 hours. So we've coupled together maybe five reactions, not in any particular order. I'd like to get your thoughts on them as well. So let's kick them off. Number five. Well, yeah, well I was surprised, but only because I, I don't know any better. So I have to um, listen to those that are in the the news breaking game if you like and uh, you know the messaging certainly you know on the east coast has been so definitive that it would have appeared to be almost a matter of time and uh, the announcement was a suspect that it was going to be last week blah 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 and then i was on air at the time and then my producer said in the year uh, we've got some big news about adam simpson i said oh hello they've made a decision that we'll break this and they said he's staying so um good on him i'm a fan i love adam simpson i'm you know i've got such admiration for the eagles they've had a horrible couple of years but i was really surprised to be honest. That was Gary Lyon who joined Mark Duffield on mornings on SENWA this morning talking about Adam Simpson. Number four. Number four. It is the biggest stare down of the footy community I've seen in my time covering the game. There is typically a level of losing that can't be absorbed by a senior coach. A 5-40 and 40 record felt like a threshold, particularly as the 100-point losses became indicative of a collapse of belief and hope. While the Eagles had been eyes wide open about their plight, the depths of despair were beyond what they had anticipated, and the development of younger players was slower than desired. In the past three weeks, we were told the winds across the Nullarbor had changed and it seemed another club would waver from its plans and promises. Simpson was left publicly dangling, uncertain whether faith had been lost and asking for an answer. He had good grounds for suspicion given some of what was being planted and peddled in the media. But the Eagles board kept its word and last night stunned observers, unanimously backing their coach. It's depicted on the front page of the West Australian as the Adam Bomb. It's as shocking as any sacking we've had in recent times. Jared Whiteley on his uh, program. That was his editorial at the start of his show this morning on SEN in Melbourne. 
Number three. I disagree with the statement that he steered them through the first phase of the rebuild. I would argue the rebuild hasn't even started yet. And I think even the club has said we're going to get younger and it's going to get more difficult for us. Uh, so he needs to come back. This is the decision they've made. It, uh, for me, it's the wrong one. I can't believe it. I'm shocked by it because these are the numbers. To your point, Hutchie, and as we've said repeatedly, no coach in the history of the game has survived numbers like this. These are your two biggest score sources, right? So scores from turnover, that's what everyone judges themselves on. That's where they rank. A long way down from North Melbourne, who are historically bad as well. And then look at the scores from stoppage. You know, over 500 points worse than North Melbourne. And look where Carlton sits. So, look, for Adam, now that they've made this decision, he's got to come back, Lordo, with energy and he's got to drive standards. They're the two things that I'd be focusing on because those two areas of his coaching have seriously been lacking for at least two seasons yeah. now. So that's Kane Corns, uh, who works with SEN, and of course on Footy Classified last night. That was just the Footy Classified music bed you heard over the graphic, talking about the West Coast Eagles and the decision on continuing with Adam Simpson as coach. Number two. I can't see how, Peter, you can win seven games of your last 54. You can lose 16 games this season by 40 points or more. They lost five matches this season by 100 points or more. And this poor season, this deplorable season, has been brewing for three years. Average losing margin this year of 68 points. And that's, that's this year. Do we go back to last year as well? And I, I, no, I don't think it's the right decision because in my opinion, Peter, it won't be much different next year under Adam Simpson than it's been for the last two seasons under Adam Simpson as things have gradually gotten worse. And we've heard more and more about player, player disharmony, player dissatisfaction with the coach, some staff dissatisfaction with the coach and certainly the likes of some, some parents dissatisfaction with how Adam Simpson handles their, their kids. So no, I, I don't think it's the right decision. But certainly the likes of Justin Langer and Nicole Moody and also uh, Elizabeth Gaines, who I believe are the ones, the strongest advocates, the two, the two girls and Justin Langer, the strongest advocates to retain Adam Simpson right through the last five or six weeks of uncertainty. So there you go. That was Kim Hagdorn's thoughts. I had him as a guest on my program last night on Sports Day WA soon as the news came through at the top of five o'clock. Number one. I thought I'd have my say on it. I basically had my say last night, but there's no question that Adam Simpson is Australian Rules Football's version of Harry Houdini. Now, when Eddie Maguire came out, who's got the best mail, in my opinion, uh, close in the business and he had a hotline to the West Coast that he was gone. I thought, well, if Eddie's sort of going on a limb uh, and putting his credibility at stake, then there's something brewing inside West Coast. And I think in the last couple of weeks, the club has worked through some of those issues and realised possibly how much it would cost. And football, even though the West Coast Eagles have got a huge buffer of reserves financially, it doesn't necessarily mean that it will last forever, okay? And they've got an AFLW program that is costing them quite a bit of money as the AFLW season commences this weekend. But going back to Adam Simpson, Jeremy McGovern, Jamie Cripps, Liam Duggan, all publicly threw their support behind Simpson. And one thing that Adam Simpson was able to do was galvanise the senior players, and during the course of the year, there was question asked, when will some of these senior players step aside during the course of the year and give the younger players a crack? 
But Adam Simpson stood firm with the likes of Jack Darling when he had very poor form and others, and he maintained their importance to the football club. So he had the support of the senior players. But the Eagles board are no strangers to backflips. When Adam Simpson was appointed in 2014, it was a backflip. He had missed out on the job. Peter Sumich had been told by the CEO and others on the board that the job was his. He had the West Coast Eagles job. But at the 11th hour, an influential board member threw a curved ball at the board. He wanted Simpson. And all of a sudden, the dominoes started to fall and Peter Sumich was out. Adam Simpson was in. Now, loyalty is a wonderful character trait and I admire the Eagles board on supporting their man. But if the Eagles are no further advanced a month or so into next season, what will the dialogue be then? There you go. That's our little snapshot of Adam Simpson and uh, the reaction right across the football community in the last 24 hours. Come and join us. I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. You've had a chance to consume it, think about it, and maybe make an opinion. There was a lot of opinion last night, but now that we've had a 24 hours to maybe take it all in, have you changed your tune in any shape or form? 0487 736 736. Uh, we have got a listener out there that's going to the Darren Field Days. That's great. Pete, regularly listen from Wongan Hills. What a lovely part of Western Australia, Wongan Hills. Got two big days working at the Field Days coming up. Currently on my way back to Wongan after the bringing Darren downtown lunch at the Crown. Good on you. Uh, Dylan, thanks for your text. Here's another one from Axel from South Perth. Uh, hi, Peter. I didn't think uh, having Adam Simpson in the job for another year would have much effect on the club as a whole. I think they will be down the bottom for a while, regardless of who's coaching the team. There you go. So keep them coming through and uh, love to hear from you here on the Temperate Bedshed text machine. The top five at five. Brought to you by Novus Auto Glass. Don't let your old windscreen end up as landfill. Call Novus Auto Glass 13 34. All right, uh, we're going to go to Scott Baker now. He is the uh, West Australian Football League Executive Manager of Football and Talent. Uh, interesting that there's a big promotion at the moment regarding people wanting to come to the Waffle Grand Final here at Optus Stadium. Is it the right decision? Is it the right decision okay. to have the Waffle Grand Final here at Optus and not at a suburban ground? Because I'm going to ask Scott Baker, he's about to join us on the line, whether the commission is going to make a loss because of the costs involved in having it at a bigger stadium. Uh, Scott Baker is on the line. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Asher. He joins us here on the program. As I mentioned, the West Australian Football Commission. He's head of football and talent development. Uh, Scott, thanks for your time. Uh, good afternoon, Peter. How are you going? Exciting times, isn't it? That's amazing when we're considering the weather we've got at the moment. You've got the smell of finals football in the air, and it kicks off, of course, this weekend in the WAFL. Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait for this weekend. It's been a fantastic, um, fantastic season. Very even, you know, even up until the last round, there was so many different scenarios around who might finish sort of first, second, third, fourth and fifth, really. And even West Perth were half a chance as well to sneak in if other, other games went their way. So it was a really exciting end to the season. And then, yeah, we've got some cracking games coming up this weekend and then the following week. So, um, yeah, 
the weather's uh, good, like you said, and um, yeah, really, really looking forward to the uh, finals getting underway. I think uh, positions two to four were determined by percentage. Uh, East Fremantle, of course, uh, a game clear on top, and then second, third, and fourth, uh, Subiaco, Peel, and East Perth determined by percentage. Yeah, that's right. You're a bit, you're a bit, you're a bit stiff. Like Claremont finished um, fifth on the same wins as Subiaco finished second. In Subiaco, get to host a home qualifying final and Claremont go to an away elimination final. So that's how close it was. Yeah, um, we're talking about eight eight percent between second and uh, and fifth. So it was uh, yeah, extremely close. Um, but yeah, great for the competition in terms of you know. Um, fan engagement and, and people being really interested in that last round and then, yeah, builds the excitement going into this weekend. Yeah, apologies to Tigers fans uh, because I only went as far as fourth being East Perth being my club and, of course, they take on Claremont on Sunday. It's a big double header coming up at Leaderville Oval across the weekend. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, no, can't wait for this weekend. Obviously, um, Peel um, did enough on the weekend to secure third spot, um, so it's a really good effort by them. Um, interesting to see sort of their selection this week and, and how they manage that, obviously, with the Fremantle um, players and the eligibility and the, and the cap for this week. And then, you know, Subiaco, obviously a bit of a blip last week against East Fremantle, but they've been, been really strong and, and really consistent all year. And um, they've well and truly earned the right to host that week. And, you know, I think East Perth probably three or four weeks ago was sitting on top of the ladder. So um, they're probably a little bit unlucky to sort of slide down to fourth on, um, it's only about point two of a percentage or something like that um, to uh, to move into that fourth spot. But, yeah, they get the host claim on it uh, at Leadable Oval as well. So that's going to be a, that's going to be a cracking game as well. I know tonight you're going to a big umpire's function. Tell us more about mm. that. But the fact that also for the finals, like the AFL, there will be four field umpires. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, no, it's a really exciting time for uh, for umpiring as, as well as the, uh, the clubs and the competition going into the finals. So... Uh, yeah, tonight out at Optus Stadium, it's the uh, the one floor um, presentation night, which is the uh, West Australian National Football League Umpires Association um, presentation night. So tonight out at Optus, um, the association and, and led by Dean Gets as well, they'll uh, they'll announce all the uh, all the finals umpires and the panel umpires for this upcoming finals, as well as uh, the finals umpires for this week, and there'll be various awards around you know Rising Star and Umpire of the Year and, and all that type of stuff as well. Um, so it's really exciting. And then, yeah, we'll also cover off tonight around the, the four umpire system. So, um, yeah, throughout this year, we've had one game per week at league level where we've had the, the four umpire system um, happening, um, which went which went really well. Um, um, from a decision-making point of view, the data tells us that we do make better decisions with the four umpires out there. So, yeah, going into a, a final series uh, with four umpires, hopefully we make the umpires make better decisions, obviously, you know, the pressure really goes up in finals, uh, which which is really good. But what it also does, it's going to give us an opportunity to expose more umpires within our waffle system in finals games. Um, you know, traditionally, the, the fourth umpire in waffle finals would sit on the bench as an emergency, but now they can actually be out there, going to be out there umpiring, which is which is really exciting. And, and it's a real good development opportunity for those umpires in the pathway. And, and hopefully it'll find a couple more to progress through and umpire more, uh, more finals in the future. Um, so now we're really looking forward to that. Um, throughout the final series. So does that mean 2024 you're looking at four umpires at every waffle game? We're looking at it, yeah. Yeah, it comes down to obviously dollars and cents. It costs us a bit more, obviously, to do it. Um, at this stage, yeah, we're, 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 we're looking to do it. It's just going to depend on, yeah, probably from a financial point of view, whether we can uh, whether we can afford it. But we'll definitely do one. We, you know, we might push to two games next year and, and build towards, um, you know, four at every game into the future. 
Um, but we'll, yeah, we'll definitely do it this final series. And I think if, if it goes really well and, and, and it's noticeably um, better from an aesthetics point of view, sorry, aesthetics point of view, and also a uh, um, decision-making point of view, then um, we'll look to um, see if we can build into the, the Waffle League competition um, across the whole of next season. Scott, uh, I know already there's a lot of promotion, a big push to buy your tickets to the WAFL Grand Final that'll be housed here at Optus Stadium. Uh, it comes with a cost. Can we certainly break it down? It's exciting. The reason why the commission decide to place it at Optus up against what we saw last year at Leaderville Oval, which was a fantastic event, and of course, a few years before that at Fremantle Oval. What was the basic reason to bring it to a bigger venue like Optus? Yeah, well, the opportunity to take um, Waffle to a world-class venue is something we don't take lightly and, and, and something we want to continue to take up if we can afford it. Um, obviously, like you said, Leadville last year and, and South Randall a couple of years before that, the atmosphere was fantastic. But, you know, the capacity at Leadville, 17,000 people only. Um, we sort of got in there, we, we squeezed in there last year. Um, but 2021, last time we were back at Optus, we had almost 30,000 people there. And that was obviously with the Subiaco victory. And Subi, I think, had won two of the last three flags by close to 100 points. And we still got 29,000, which was, which was fantastic. So we think this year... Going back to uh, going back to Optus Stadium, and you know the way the ladder's looking. Um, you know, East Ferry haven't played in the grand final for a long time, and, and East Perth as well. So, those types of teams, if they're there on grand final day, we really think we can maximise some um, significant attendance at, at Optus Stadium. And obviously, from a fan point of view, you can get into some corporate suites and open air boxes and locker room for really cheap prices compared to you know AFL prices. And you know, quite frankly, like a lot of a lot of people can't afford the AFL prices unless it's a corporate ticket, you know, but whereas they, we, we think we've got some really affordable options for, for grand final day and they're all on sale now. Um, so it's a combination of a lot of things, fan experience, player experience, but obviously trying to maximise the uh, crowd as best we can. You mentioned about if we can afford it a couple of times. It is a costly exercise because no doubt you need to pay an amount to open up Optus Stadium. I believe the, the top tier won't be open for the Waffle Grand Final. There is a public transportation to the venue that you need to also uh, endure as a cost factor. Does that blow it out a bit? Yeah, it does. It does a little bit. Yeah. So how it sort of works, like we're, we're actually really lucky. Like Venues Live, um, the company that run Optus Stadium, obviously a really big international company. Um, and we're lucky enough to be in a joint venture with them for the Waffle Grand Final. So the way that works, we share in the, uh, we share in the revenue and the cost. Um, so anything we, anything we make, we split. And any cost we have, we, we sort of split. Um, so, um, so, so we're lucky to have that arrangement in place. Normally, you know, for example, if a concert or a soccer game or whatever come to town, they have to pay a hiring fee. Um, we don't have to do that, which is which is which we're really lucky and, and appreciative of. Um, but on top of those, sort of included in those costs that we split is the um, is the PTA levy. And a couple of years ago, it was sort of a legacy of COVID back in 2021 that the government sort of waived the PTA levy. And um, whereas this year, it'll be included in the overall cost of, of the grand final. And if you get a crowd of around between thirty and forty thousand, it's about one hundred and seventy grand. Uh, the PTA levy is part of the overall cost of the day. Um, so you obviously build that back into your build that back into your budget. And, and, and like I said, it's a it's a joint cost, so it's not a football commission's cost. But um, you know, but we think it's an important one um, to ensure the day goes ahead. And obviously, there's some costs associated with you know kick the kick and those sort of things after, which we, we which we're happy to commit to because we think it actually drives attendance and increases that fan experience. Because yeah, outside of the waffle grand final, there's not really any opportunities to get out of the stadium um, with your family and your kids and, and have a kick of the footy after the game. So we think that's really important and, and a worthy investment. So saying that, it's a worthy investment, but you don't expect to make money. That is the commission out of uh, a Waffle Grand Final, considering the costs. 
No, nah, that's right. Like if you get over, you know, twenty-five to thirty thousand, you will definitely make a bit of money out of it. Not 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 significant amount, but for us, it's more about yeah that fan that fan experience, player experience, and and yeah, trying to give as many possible waffle people an opportunity to get up to stadium and and really experience that world class event at a at a pretty uh, real really affordable price. And in a couple of weeks' time, we have got the Sandover Medal as we let you go, which is mm. another big event. Tell us more. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so we've um, we've shifted the, the time from the traditional sort of time slot for the uh, the Sandover this year. Um, in speaking to the clubs, we, we we couldn't get everyone likes the Crown event um, more than um, others, so um, we we chose the Crown event. But they're heavily booked out at this point in time, or for the next few years. So we've sort of moved it to a week forward on the Monday, uh, leading into the prelim. Um, which is a little bit away from tradition, but we, we think we'll still get some really strong momentum around that event and, and ticket sales are, are going really well. And I think it gives us a bit of clean air leading into grand final as well from an operational staffing and club point of view as well, trying to get people there on, on grand final week. So it'll be a week before, but it'll be on the on the Monday, obviously, um, yeah, leading into the prelim. Um, but also, um, it'll also include, like it did uh, did last year, the uh, the Hall of Fame. Which is uh, which is really exciting. So it's a it's a jam packed <laughs> it's a jam packed night. There's a lot on the uh, a lot on the run sheet. But yeah, that's uh, Monday, 11th of September at Crown will be the will be the Sandover medal. And um, yeah, I think it'll be a pretty pretty close count. I reckon the uh, the Sandover. Mm. Um, there's been some, there's been some really strong performances across the across the waffle this year. So looking forward to sitting back and uh, seeing how the count unfolds. Yeah, no, good on you, Scott. Thanks for bringing us up to date. Really appreciate it. Uh, exciting times in the WAFL as the finals kick off this weekend. And we'll keep in touch. Thanks for your time. Nah, thanks, Peter. Appreciate your interest and support of the Waffle. Yeah, good on you, Scott, and we'll keep in touch, as I mentioned. All right, uh, this is Sports Day WA with Peter Vlahos. Uh, get on the temperate bedshed text machine. Uh, Dylan says, Peter, curious, when you're referring to with comments around Simpson galvanising senior players and then not giving kids opportunities, who could they have played? Uh, point, uh, any points that have no one playing Waffle amidst an availability crisis? You referenced Darling's poor form, but Marrick was a mid-season draftee and played the next week. Jack Williams, Jinby, Long, Hewitt, Chesser, Jameson, Edwards, O'Neill all got games this year, amongst others. My question was, in some ways, is that in the end, younger players probably early in the first half of the season where they were getting decimated... And some of the senior players, to be fair, weren't playing that well. He kept backing the senior players over the developing players. I agree. In the end, certainly a lot of those players that you mentioned, see, Chester didn't play a lot of footy. played a bit, but didn't play a lot. Hewitt came in a bit later. Uh, Longer has been a good find. Jimby, a good find, but got injured. Jack Williams, only in recent times. So... I just feel, I just feel that, and that's been one of the criticisms, is Adam Simpson a development coach? Is he a coach that can develop young players to become the next generation of senior players that will take the club forward? We'll have to wait and see. Dylan, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'm just sort of referring to what I broadcast this year and the general consensus amongst the a lot of us in the media, on where the West Coast Eagles were going. Because, as you recall, there was a period where Jack Darling, who's been a fantastic footballer, he's kicked over 500 goals, and there's only two players in the history of the Eagles have kicked over 500 goals, and that's Peter Sumich and Josh Kennedy. He's been brilliant. There's no question in a career that spanned, 
just under 300 games, about 277, 278 games now, which is brilliant by Jack Darling. But there were periods this year that he lost his confidence totally. And I work with Scotty Cummings, who was the 1999 Coleman medalist and was a, a leading forward. And even he was so critical of Jack. Just needed to go back, maybe play in the waffle, kick a few goals and just reset. Uh, but there, and you must also agree, Dylan, there was a time where Jack was unfortunately uh, a bit of a load to carry for the other West Coast Eagles players. Dave says, Kane Corns, you are West Coast and Adam Simpson, an unreserved apology for your absurd, absurd theories and factual incorrect reporting of the club all season. That's Nev. Uh, thanks, Pete. Good man, Dylan, has just responded to that. Good on you, Dylan. Uh, and if you are at the field days there at Darren, uh, have a great day on Wednesday and Thursday. One day I must get up there because they reckon it's just a, a real hoot. It's 27 past five here on Sports Day WA. The award-winning seven-seat Kia Sorento. Kia, official partner of the FIFA Women's World Cup 2023. Toolmart, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 40 years. This is Sports Day. I tell you what, uh, there's a lot of people listening in from Darren, actually. Uh, hello, Peter, your old mate from the Perth Power Tractors and Machinery at the Darren Field Days uh, in the next couple of days. He's flying the flag. His name is Paul. So check it out. Uh, the Perth Power Tractors and Machinery. I think you'll be at the Lombardi stand up there. Uh, pop in. He'll shout you a coffee. He'll introduce uh, yourself uh, to him. It's well worth maybe catching up with Paul McGovern. He'll be at the Dower and Phil Days. Look for the uh, Lombardi stand. He's going to be there. He'll be passing out cards and also coffee. And he makes a good brew as well at the Dower and Phil Days. Okay, here we go for Polaris, Australia's number one, uh, number one selling side-by-side -side brand. Sports news update, of course. Laura Kane became the AFL's most senior football official in the last 24 hours, with the league confirming her appointment as the executive general manager of football yesterday. Laura was uh, featured on radio, on SEN, during the course of the last, or today in particular. And there's a couple of little grabs of what she had to say. Firstly, on the ARC system, that was certainly put under the microscope in the match between Adelaide and Sydney a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it will be. So you're right. We're adding a second score review operator um, on top of the one that we already have in the arc, along with a score review supervisor. So there'll be three people that have eyes only for making those decisions to review a point, a goal, umpire's call, whatever the case may be. In terms of the off-season, it's work that's already ongoing, uh, as I said, uh, today and um, earlier, we uh, working through ball tracking technology. We've commissioned the second phase of that trial a couple of weeks ago. And so we're really excited to see, one, what technology can do to help us officiate the game better, but also understand the game better as it's happening. So uh, automatically get things like ball speed, uh, congestion metrics, etc., to, to really help us learn in real time what's going on on the field. That's Laura Kane. Let's go to the open line. That is the uh, temperate bedshed open line. And joining us is 
An old mate of ours, Troy, down there in Collie. Hello, Troy. Pete, how are you, mate? I'm very good, Troy. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. Um, put Adelaide in the finals, so yes. that's a good thing. Yeah. What about the all? You want to talk about the All Australian? You got some people or some players that you think should get into the final twenty-two? Yeah. Well, we've um, put Adelaide. have already got three guys: Dan Houston, Connor Rosie, and Zach Butters. But yeah. um, now you. I'm not being rude here, Paddy. You've been around a long time. <laughs> as um, long as you, Troy. I oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. There's a line there, but I'm not touching it, Peter. You try to get me every time. Um, no, I think... Now, how many midfielders are going to be half-forwards and, um, you know, half-back flankers as well, and as well as on the um, interchange bench? But the one that I think that should be in there for the half-forward position as a high high half-forward is um, SPP from Port Adelaide, Sammy Powell Pepper. Yeah, he's been good. Hasn't he had a great second half of the season, uh, Troy? He's been outstanding. Good East Perth boy. Uh, I'm still shocked that the West Coast Eagles didn't pick him up. They needed a bit of a grunt in the midfield, and I reckon uh, Sam Powell Pepper would have delivered. But he's now played well over 100 games for Port Adelaide, and he's been outstanding. No, Troy, I agree with you, and let's hope maybe... um, Is he in the 43? He's not. He's not in the 44. Okay. All right. Well, Troy, uh, I know you're a Port Adelaide man, but uh, maybe... Next year for Sam Balpeva on the back end of a big 2024. Thanks for your call, mate. Nice to talk to you again. Uh, just briefly, some other sports news. Uh, St Kilda captain Jack Steele says he wants Jade Gresham to remain at the Saints beyond this season as he concedes a free agent is no guarantee to stay. All thanks to Polaris. My 23 plate clearance is on now. Save up to $3,000 on selected models. We're going to talk a bit of Rugby World Cup next. Don't go away. Mickey Collis joins us on Sports Day. Welcome back to Sports Day WA. You're with Peter Vlahos. There's World Cups everywhere. We had the FIFA Women's World Cup. They just concluded a short time ago. We've got the Basketball World Cup currently happening in Japan. But one of the big World Cups is starting this weekend. France is the location. It's the Rugby World Cup. And we know that the Wallabies are up against it, judging on the results in recent times at this uh, World Cup that gets underway. The opening match is France against uh, New Zealand. A man that's going to be right across for us here on Sports Day WA is our very own Mick Collis. Mick, thanks for your time. Now, Pete, always a pleasure, and it's great to have the, all the warm-up events are over now. The real World Cup, that's the one that's about to start. But the big question is, what sort of form guide can you get from the warm-up events after what happened? last weekend? I, I, no one knows. It, it was quite extraordinary. I mean, we're, most, most World Cups we go in and saying, oh, this one's going to be the most open ever. But I think this one is going to be the most open ever, just because, as you said, those results on the weekend, there's been a pecking order in World Rugby for a fair while leading into this World Cup, but it was thrown out the window on the weekend. As you mentioned off the top, like Fiji beat England at Twickenham. Now, Fiji had never beat England before, let alone in England, but to beat them in Twickenham for their last match before a World Cup, that's thrown all sorts of scares into the England camp. They're already after the, um, the head coach, uh, Borthwick. They didn't want him. They wanted him to, to be sacked earlier. So I think that the English have lost five from their last six 
test matches going into this World Cup. So they're in all sorts of trouble. But, you know, Fiji, they're one of these teams. They've they've, they've now got a team in um, the Fiji and Drua playing Super Rugby. So a lot of those guys from that Fijian team play together week in, week out for that Drua team. Then they've got a few guys who play overseas that have come back into that side. So that Fiji team... That's going to be real smoky. They're in the Australian pool. And we, all, we always thought, oh, we'll be able to knock off Fiji. But I tell you what, after last weekend, they'll be looking at that game with a different set of eyes. Yeah, interesting. Uh, the Pacific Islanders were fact down 8-3 at half time, So they rallied on 27 points after half time, which was a, a fair effort there at Twickenham. What about the other result that shocked a few people? I was down at the Sorrento Surf Club uh, this morning and there was a couple of South Africans there and they're getting quite excited. The way, they, the way they trounced the All Blacks on the weekend. That's all they wanted yeah, to talk they'll, about. They'll be cock-a-hoop, our, little, our Springbok friends there. Uh, again, that was extraordinary. That was the biggest loss in New Zealand rugby history. So from game one, which is over 100 years ago, 600-something tests or whatever it is, it's, that's their biggest ever loss. And again, they were one of the favourites going into this World Cup. So... Like no, no one, no one can work out what's going on. It's just, um, it's extraordinary. I think it's going to be one of these events where, on your day, if you make some mistakes, you're going to be punished by the opposition. So it's going to be the team that makes the least amount of mistakes is going to get through this World Cup. Because on their day, most of these teams are pretty even. But I tell you what, a couple of little mistakes the All Blacks made. That Scott Barrett, he got, he's been red carded for a, for a high shot. So I'm not sure he hasn't been before the judiciary yet. So if they lose him, he might miss all the all the pool games. You might miss six weeks. Who knows what's going to happen there? So it's, um, oh, wow, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. And I know the English, they've had a few dramas with red cards and suspensions as well. So it's, uh, and this new rule that rugby's brought in where the head is sacred and if you, if you hit the head sort of with a shoulder or an arm, well, you're going to be suspended. So players have really got to watch their discipline and I think that'll be a key factor. But yeah, for the Springboks to beat the, the uh, All Blacks by that margin again and their coach Ian Foster... He's under pressure. Scott Robinson is a new coach. He's already been appointed, but he'll start next year. People were saying that Foster should have gone. Robertson should have taken this World Cup. So there's pressure on these guys. You know, you think um, old Simpson from the West Coast is under pressure. <laughs> these guys in charge of international teams, they're under all sorts of pressure. Saying that, you mentioned discipline. And even the Wallabies have had some discipline issues, haven't they, in recent time? I think they conceded about 14 penalties in a fifth straight defeat uh, this year in 2023. And Eddie Jones is still looking for his first victory as coach. Yeah, so we're none from five. So Eddie Jones was brought in. Dave Rennie was the previous coach. He was sacked mid-year after a World Cup camp. He'd been up on the Gold Coast with the squad that he thought he was going to be taking the World Cup. He's got home Monday. They've rang him and said, oh, sorry, mate, you're out. Uh, Eddie Jones is in. Rennie had a win percentage of 38%, which was pretty low. And, you know, on stats alone, probably should have gone. But he was building for this World Cup. They've brought Eddie in, and Eddie's on none from five. So he's on 0% for his second term of, uh, of, of leading the Wallabies as the coach. So there's all sorts of questions being asked about him. But I think he's on the right track. He's picked a, he's picked a young squad. And I know that Australia's got the home World Cup here in 2027. Now, after we saw what happened with the Matildas, Rugby Australia, they would like to do well at the World Cup in France this year, but they want to do extremely well in 2027. I think that's been Eddie Jones's remit, was to get a team that's going to capture the hearts of the Australian public on home soil in 2027. So I think if we, if we do well, it's going to be great. But if we don't do well, I think it'll be forgiven because that 2027 is the one. But you talk about discipline. I think we must have the record for the most number of yellow cards. And we got one again. On the weekend, Suliesi Vunavalu, uh, the former rugby league winner that no one else thinks should have even been in the World Cup squad except Eddie Jones. He got a yellow card. So that puts us down to, you know, 14 against 15 against one of the best teams in the world. And 
you know, you, again, you can't afford to make little mistakes like that and give a team 10 minutes playing with an extra man. And that's what Australia, their discipline, as you mentioned, it's been, it's been a massive deal. And that's something they're getting... I don't know how they fix that, but um, it's something they've got to work on because you can't afford, again, to be giving away dumb penalties in a World Cup. Let's have a look at the World Cup. Starts next weekend. As you mentioned, France taking on the All Blacks. Uh, they're in Pool A with Italy, Uruguay and Namibia. You'd expect the All Blacks and France to progress, even though Italy are uh, always nuisance value. Yeah, yeah, and that's what they are. They're nuisance value. So they're a team that you can't take lightly, but if, if you can't beat Italy, you shouldn't be going to the quarterfinal. So, yeah, those those two teams, the ones that'll that'll get through. But, yeah, Italy will just create a little bit of drama, make it a bit more of a challenge for them, but I, I can't see any of those teams being troubled by Italy. In Pool B, you've got South Africa, Ireland, Scotland, Tonga and Romania. It's an interesting group. You'd expect the South Africans and the Irish possibly to get through, but you can't dismiss maybe Scotland. No, and Tonga as well. Like the, the Tongans have got um, a fantastic team. And I know Israel Folau, he was meant to be playing for Tonga, the former Wallaby, uh, he's, but he's got injured, so he's out. But a lot of the... Because rugby, world rugby have brought in a rule now that if you, if you play for a country, uh, as, you, as a country, but then you don't play a test match for three years, you're eligible to play for the test match of your heritage. So for someone like Israel Folau, hasn't played for the Wallabies for probably, you know, four or five years. So he is now eligible for Tonga. And there's a couple of ex-All Blacks that are in that squad as well. So the Tongan, they, and they're such a physical, tough, hard team. So they will just go out and just legally just bash these other teams. So I think the only team out of that four that, that wouldn't think that they're going to make it through would be Romania. I think Scotland... They're a dark horse. Tonga, as I said, they can just bash people. And then um, and then the two uh, others, you know, you'd think Ireland certainly, they're one of the favourites to win the World Cup. Um, so, yeah, Romania really the only one. I think four out of those five uh, are, you know, probably worth a little bit of sly money for the, for the quarterfinals. Paul C is Wales, Australia, Fiji, Georgia and Portugal. Australia, I think, play F- uh, Georgia in their first match. But all of a sudden, Fiji... Uh, can join now Wales as Australia as possibilities of getting out of Pool C. Yeah, and, and Fiji, I think we've, I read today, Australia has dropped to ninth in the world rankings. Fiji are now above us. Fiji wow. Are. So on stats, you know, we're going to be the ones that should struggle. But as I said, we, we should beat Fiji and we'll certainly beat um, Portugal and um, who's our other one that we've got? Uh, Georgia. Georgia. We'll beat will beat Georgia. Yeah, Scotland beat them on the weekend pretty convincingly. So it's going to be between Wales, Australia and Fiji. And I'd like to think that we've got we've got the warm-up match against Georgia. And then I think we've got Wales as our, as our second match. Um, mm-hmm. So the way the Wallabies are playing, because it's such an inexperienced team that hasn't spent a lot of time together, that little warm-up game that we'll have against Georgia leading into that Wales game, that's going to be really valuable for us. So I, I think that we will top our pool. But, again, we need to be good if we have a game like we did on the weekend where, you know, Carter Gordon, he's fantastic, but he missed a heap of kicks and you can't afford to leave points behind in a World Cup. So if, if there's a tight game and your kicker's not scoring the points it needs to score, well, then it's very easily can swing the other way. So if, if everything lines up, we should beat Fiji and, look, we, we should beat Wales, but... It's a World Cup, Pete, and as we know, anything can happen. Yeah, and finally, Mickey, England, Japan, Argentina, Samoa and Chile. Another interesting group. Yeah, and again, Chile, the only ones that probably aren't much of a hope. I think that's. I think it might be their first World Cup. I actually think they beat the USA to, mm. to make their first World Cup. So they'll just be excited just to be there. Um, but Samoa, again, just 
big, strong. They t- they play that very Fijian style, but with more physicality, which is which is hard to believe. But they're just they're just a really tough tough side. Argentina are a very good side. They beat the Wallabies in the in the rugby championships that we had. England, you know, you'd think would get through, but they got you know beaten by Fiji, so they're a bit doubtful. And Japan, you know, I mean, they're, they're they've been the big improvers in world rugby, and we saw that they beat uh, South Africa in. When was that? The 2015, I think, mm. World Cup. They they beat South Africa. So Japan on their day, again, a team that has improved by. I mean, they've been, they won. They should have got through to the quarterfinals in the World Cup in Japan last year, but just missed out by percentages. So they'll be angry as a result of that, and they'll come out absolutely firing. So again, four out of those five teams could make the quarterfinals. There's no easy run for those teams. Exciting times, uh, Mickey. You're going to be right across at uh, this Rugby World Cup. I'm really looking forward to it. Nothing like a World Cup. We saw what happened uh, here on home soil in Australia and New Zealand with the FIFA Women's World Cup. And I suppose everybody now will be on board with the Wallabies and let's hope they get off to a good start. Thanks for joining us, mate. We'll keep in touch. I look forward to it. Thanks, Pete. Mickey Collins uh, giving us an early preview into the Rugby World Cup, which gets underway this coming weekend. Looking forward to that. Thanks for joining us on the program. I'll be back again tomorrow from 5 o'clock here on SENWA and Sports Day WA brought to you by Kia and the EV6 GT, the World Performance Car of the Year, and Toolmart, the Complete Tool Centre, serving WA for over 45 years. Thanks, Asha. Thanks, Jimmy. See you tomorrow at 5.